Let me explain some things to you that uh, how I understand that some very simple ways that I've come to understand how people work, how we work, and what works within us. And I'll use a few very simple illustrations, but they're very um, helpful. They're very accurate, I believe, in the way that they simplify all of this that's going on in, in each of us to cause us to do the things we do or not stop doing the things that sometimes we want to stop doing, but we can't seem to stop. So first of all, the illustration is a simple one, that there are fruits and there are roots. And so there are, there are both the things that we see in our lives and there are some things behind those that produce those. Our next slide. Slides are not cooperating, are they? I really worked hard to make these look really nice for you guys. <laughs> they're there. All right. So um, fruits are the things that, uh, that our lives produce. And so there are good fruits and there are bad fruits. There are things, uh, good fruits are things like peace, joy, loving relationships, uh, healthy self-esteem. These are good fruits, things that we do in our lives. And there are bad fruits, things like regret and broken relationships and depression, selfishness. These are bad fruits. So what produces those would be the roots beneath them. Next. The roots are the understandings. They're the conclusions. They're beliefs that create the fruits in our lives. They've what we uh, have decided that this is the way life works. And they're often like roots are underground. These are often understandings or they're conclusions that are hidden from us about security, about control and love in particular. And they are below ground. They begin when we are young, usually when we're kids and usually around 12. So you all who have children who are 11, 12, 13, right in there, you've got to realize that this is a critical time of life for your children to get the right messages about their being loved, about what brings them safety and security, and about how they're to maintain control in regard to people and things around them. Very important they get it right here, or it will affect the rest of their lives, positively or negatively, if they get the wrong messages. Because our understanding can usually be incorrect. In fact, if not guided, they will almost certainly always be incorrect. There'll be misunderstandings. And they'll produce that bad fruit. If they are misunderstandings, if they're incorrect understandings about our person, our value, our, our worthiness of love or esteem, if they're incorrect about what brings us safety and how we're to be secure in life, if it's wrong, then we will suffer some negative consequences. Next. We'll look at David and find out what led him to do some things that were certainly not appropriate, some bad things. There was some bad fruit in David's life. And so we're going to try to see if we can discern the roots beneath it. And then when we finish that, we're going to go back and see if we can discern some roots for ourselves. So he was a man who was after God's heart. And here are some of the roots that I've come up with. It's kind of small, at least I have a hard time seeing very far, you guys. So you can probably see it fine. But um, here are some of the roots that I think were, were planted in David's heart throughout his lifetime. I've taken these from, uh, mainly from uh, 1 Samuel as a longer, 1 and 2 Samuel. There's, most of David's life is recorded in there. And so here are some of the ones that I've come up with. And I'd read a few of them. We're going to focus on the last ones. Um, I think David began to believe that his dad didn't think he was much, he was capable of being a man. And we'll, we'll look at that one a little bit, in just a little bit closer in a second. I thought, I think that he came to believe that his brothers didn't respect him. Um, he 
One of the, the scripts that are the roots planted in his life is that I am more than just a shepherd boy and I can prove it. That I'm handsome, talented, and liked by others. That I'm a warrior and I can kill anything. He believed that, he should, that you should never dishonor a king. He believed women loved me. He believed I remove threats and enemies to stay safe or I must remove my threats or my enemies in order to stay safe. And he believed that God's special favor was what brought him victory. Some of those are true and some of those are not true. Some of those are correct understandings and some are misunderstandings. Uh, The last one is the correct understanding. The other ones are not. So so when uh, our wounds, when our... um, when and how are our roots planted? How do we get these ideas or these notions? And I mentioned around age 12 is a time when we kind of begin to put together, kids start to coalesce all the thoughts and experiences and, and observations that they've had in their life. And so what things affect that are, I've, I've got three areas that usually bring those about. One is wounds that we have. You saw in the opening, we had a picture of a dad that was scolding his son there. Uh, often it is from a father that we are wounded by our dads. We are wounded by their words, by their actions, by their inactions, by their absence, by their anger, by their failings. We are often very strongly affected and can be wounded. And those wounds can open, like opening up ground, they can make the way for seeds to be planted, for ideas to come into our life, for wrong ideas to come into our lives about who we are and our value or lack of value or our, um, how we are to control or keep control around us and so forth. And so David was wounded, I believe, by Jesse. And it's at the time when, um, when he was choosing, when Samuel was told uh, to go and, and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the king. And uh, he had eight sons and he brought seven in to the house that day when the prophet arrived and he looked at the oldest one, the second, third, and fourth. He went through all of them, and he said, none of these are the ones. And God had, had already told Samuel, don't look at the appearance of this person I'm going to choose. Don't look at the outside. Look at the heart. And then it was over. And Jesse was, I get the picture that Jesse's kind of stunned. Like, wow, well, what do we do now? And so Samuel says, was there anybody else? And he says, Oh, yeah, I've got one out in the field. I really wonder if Jesse, I really wonder if David was wrong in his assumptions about his dad, who didn't think of him right off the bat as a possibility of being a king. And his brother picks up on this later when when David goes out to the battle and he's with the Philistines and he's running out to take them some food. And his older brother says, What are you doing out here, Pipsqueak? That's a loose translation. What, what he, he says, what are you doing out here, you shepherd boy? What are you doing? Be out there, you should be out there with those few sheep. In other words, you can't even take care of many sheep. You just got a couple of little lambs to take care of out there. What are you doing out here with us warriors? And so he pictured, he, he, those, his brother was reflecting, I believe, very possibly, something he picked up from his dad too, which is young guys, little boys like you, you're nothing. It's only big men like us who are important. And so David got the idea a wound, I should say, from his dad that he might not measure up. So you'll notice what David starts to do is he starts turning to the other men. As soon as he hears in the battle, 
As soon as he hears the word that Saul is going to reward the family of the person who kills the giant. He's going to cut their taxes out. They won't be taxed anymore. And so he hears that and he he asks three different people. Is this right? This guy won't be taxed? And his brothers start kind of griping at him about it. Would you cut that out and let people alone? And so he says, so he gets in his brother's face. You got to read it. He gets in his brother's face. He says, can I even talk? Can I even, that's exactly what it says. Can I even say anything? So you can tell they've done that a few times before growing up. We never had that in our home. And I know you haven't experienced this. So I'm having to translate a little bit, help you here. Okay. But there was that, you know, kind of back and forth between brothers and, and, um, and David is, uh, then he just turned his back on him. He just like, forget you. And he just turns and starts talking. It's exactly what he did, guys. He just kind of forget that. And he turns and starts talking to the other soldiers. Is that right? Did he really say that he'll cut the taxes? And so this catches David's attention. And this is connected to the wound that David had that he needed to measure up. It's also connected to the idea that I'm a warrior and I can fight and I can win my way. I can achieve love. I can achieve esteem. And many of us have that wound in that conclusion that if I do enough, if I have enough, if I'm right and perfect enough, some of you are feeling this one. If I can get it all together, I'll be okay. I'm loved. I have value. And if I don't, I'm a miserable person. I'm no good. I don't measure up. Nobody will love me. God won't love me. So David had some of this going on in there. And so he picks up on this and he decides, I'm going to win my father's favor. Because I'm going to get the taxes knocked out for the whole family. In fact, I'll win my brother's favor. So part of that is pushing him along as well as his value of God, his belief in God and, and the people of Israel. So these are some of the things I believe are, that came into the wound. The idea that he could fight his way to uh, or accomplish his way into being somebody important in his family and later on in, the, in all of Israel. So the next slide. Um, our wounds or our beliefs, I should say, can come uh, from what others say or do, what they say about us or how they behave towards us. Um, David, because of the way he was treated and, and talked about among the women, got the idea that they just loved me because he was, um, he was out and he, he won the battles and they came back and sang the song. Remember the song they sang? Saul's killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. And Saul was jealous about that. He didn't like that. And so, but the women were singing this. Lots of people telling you that you're a certain way. You begin to believe that thing. And so Saul's daughter, Michael, Michael was in love with David at first. Until he broke her heart. She loved him too. Oh, she was, she was infatuated. She was enthralled with this young hero. And so he begins to get the idea that, hey, I'm just, you know, I got what it takes. Kind of the Fonz. Any of you remember the Fonz? Any of you below 60 remember the Fonz? I remember it. If you don't, he was cool. He was really the cool guy. And he would look, you young people don't know, so I can tell you this. Young is in under 50, okay? Makes you feel good, doesn't it? You 50-year-olds like, whoa, I'm young, that's cool. So, you know, he would look in the mirror and he took his comb out. He'd look in the mirror and he'd start to comb his hair. And then he'd go, ah. Right? It's, it's, I'm perfect. I don't need any changes. That's kind of a David attitude, I think, a little bit too, where he kind of had it together. And so, um, and then he's, he's uh, Abigail, who was the wife of another guy who was a bad guy, uh, Nabal, died. Uh, Nabal died. He was a, kind of a, a, a drunk and a, 
In, in fact, one, a doctor one time told me that it says that his heart became like stone. That there's this doctor told me that I'm that it's uh, there's a certain level of alcoholism that can turn your heart into like harden your heart or rubber. Or, you know, it just doesn't work well. So Nabal died. It looks like a heart attack. Maybe he drank so much that it was that way. You all know it's associated with an alcoholic man in the home. This young lady or lady Abigail had lived under that, but she was evidently a sweet-hearted uh, and kind and thoughtful person and wise as well. She brought David out all this and his men, all this food and all these good treats and stuff like that. So later on when Nabal dies, David remembers Abigail. I think David had a problem. Obviously, David had a problem with women. He noticed her and he thought about her. And as soon as her husband dies, first thing he does is he sends somebody to go get Abigail and he marries her. He had already married one other lady. He had been given to Michael as husband, but they had a little tiff, and it was over the fact that she didn't like the fact that the girls were giving him attention, and he was liking it. He was out dancing around with the girls and in, engaging in that, and she brought it to his attention. I don't know, David. I'm, my opinion is, this, you can check me on this. I don't know that David was as righteous in all of that dancing before the Lord as he pretended to be. I think Michael probably probably picked up on something there underneath as a woman. The intuition, she knew that something wasn't right there. And and I think we see it in David's life, certainly with Bathsheba, when it becomes full-blown, that he did have a weakness. And um, uh, so he has this thing, this message in him that I win women's favor, that I have something that is attractive to women, that I can sort of win my way with the girls. They will love me. Next, please. Another way that we get these uh, ideas is because what we do, we see what seems to work. Either what we do or others around us do, it seems to work and we latch onto it and we say, oh, this is the way to gain love or to have control or, or to be safe. And so there are some here. Um, I think David learned a good bit from Saul, actually, um, because he, he uses some of Saul's techniques in, in, in his life. And I put at the top of the slide here, I remove threats to say safe by proxy. Uh, he got this from Saul. Saul was always commanding people to go do his bad stuff for him. And we know later on David will, will use proxy to get some bad things done. So an evil spirit came from God upon Saul while David was playing the harp. And he threw a spear at him and saying, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was good about throwing his spirit at people. He threw it at Jonathan later on because Jonathan made him angry, his own son. And so the idea is if you've got somebody in front of you that's causing you a problem, get rid of them. So this is what he's seen, and this tends to be a, a mode of operation for Saul. And it's one of the things in David's possibility bag. It's, we all have it. We all get the idea from other people around us of how of what things might work or what things we might try in order to handle our life's problems. And, um, and so from Saul, he got this idea. Uh, at least, I'm thinking, he got part of the idea from him that you get rid of your enemies. That's what you do. You just, you just get rid of them. Um, it says, Saul was afraid of David, and he sent David away and gave him commands uh, over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. This sounds like an honor, and it is, but it put David at the front of danger. He put David right up front in every campaign. Remember, this is after he threw the, the spear at him. This is after he's jealous. He puts him in the front of every campaign, hoping that he'll be killed. That does show up later in David's life. He did pick this up somewhere, this, this possibility. 
And so he says to him at another time, he says, here's my daughter. This is Saul talking to David about Michael. He says, here's my daughter. Serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. And I will raise, um, and I will not raise a hand um, against him. Oh, Saul said, I will not raise a hand against him, against David. He said, let the Philistines do that. So he, he look in there. Saul offered him his daughter to lure him in. And then he said, when he, when he wouldn't take her hand, in other words, to gain an alliance between the two of them, David said, I'm not going to do it because I'm not worthy. See, David had to think about, I'm going to earn my value. Like with dad earlier on, now he's got to earn value with Saul. What do you think? It's a small thing to become the king's son-in-law. I've got to earn that. And so his advisor, Saul's advisors were wise and they were perceptive. And they came to Saul and they said, look, give him something to do that's dangerous and he'll do it. So he said, well, bring me back a thousand Philistine foreskins. Go kill a thousand Philistines. I mean, a hundred Philistines. And David went for it. And what did he do? He brought back 200 instead of a hundred and he brought them back early. He was ahead of time and under budget. So he did. Heard that? Yeah, there's a wound. There's a wound going on. It's not just in David, King David either. It's in all kings. Many kings, not all kings. Many kings. Many of us. Um, who are the kings, of the rulers of God on the earth, the people of God on the earth, representing a king on the earth? And so um, he came, uh, Saul says, well, send him out there. So maybe they'll kill, they'll kill him. So he learned that by proxy, you can get rid of your enemies. That's my main point here, is that David picked that up. Um, And so it says, and so Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And uh, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. One time he was sitting around with them, and and he turned to them and he says, I want you guys to get rid of David. So it was... um, it was mode of operation, and David picked up on that as one of the possibilities that seemed to work to keep himself safe. Now, next one, please. David's, <clears throat> excuse me, David's root understandings are really lies. And I would like us to label them pro- appropriately and call our misunderstandings about life lies because they're just inaccurate, they're not true. And Satan is the father of lies. It's the one thing he's created. It's his tool. It's what he uses, lies and deception. And if he can get us to believe a lie, he's got us. The truth sets us free from those lies. But if he can get us to believe the lie, he's got us. And David's lies, and these are my uh, wording of them, is that women love me. Uh, you can see love, control, and safety. These are the three areas where we generally get some ideas that are inaccurate. So women love me. I control with my words. In other words, I give commands. I give edicts. I can imbe- I can talk flamboyantly or uh, lavishly, or what's the word I use there, uh, valiantly about God and His armies. And I, David used words to control, either giving commands or making speeches, or in one time acting out of his mind, using his his words, communication to try and control himself when he was in the hands of the. Uh, his life was threatened by the, um, I can't remember his name right now, the, the bad guy. Um, and so he, was, and he learned to remove threats. He said, I remove threats to stay safe by killing them usually. So those are three lies that came into his life. I want to emphasize here as well, look at uh, the source of the, or the power behind his lies. Women love me. I control with my words. I remove threats to stay safe. 
The problem with our lives is they always rely upon us. That we become God in our lives. We're the force. We take care of ourselves. That's the flaw within the lie. Didn't he do it with Adam and Eve? With Eve, he said, did God say that if you eat of this fruit, you will die? She went on and talked about it a little bit, the tree, the fruit from this tree. And then later on, he says to her, you will not die. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. I will be like God? And that's the temptation. And that's the flaw within all lies, is that we think we can do what only God is supposed to do for us. Or we think that our lie can do for us what really only God can do for us and should do for us. So here are the fruit of David's lies. So this is how David could do what he did later on with Bathsheba and with Uriah, okay? Here's how he could do it. And this is what came out of his life. Women love me. So what's David? What's the fruit? David seduces Bathsheba. I control with my words. So what does he do? He writes a letter to commanding Joab to put uh, Uriah at the front of the battle so he'd be killed. So he does it by proxy. See, his lies are coming into play and and they played out in this scene. This is the fruit, the outcome of believing what he believed. And so, let me go back for me just one minute so I can get there. So I remove threats to stay safe. And so what's he do? He puts Uriah as a threat to uh, outing him on his... um, on his um, adultery with Bathsheba, and so he plans to have him killed. You see them there? So he seduces her, writes a letter to have Uriah killed by Joab, or really by the, the enemies, by the Ammonites, and, and, it's, and all have his enemy moved out of the way, or his hindrance moved out of the way. It's interesting right here, and this is something that I encourage you guys to think about. I was with some, some visitors last night, David, and... Um, some others were over last night um, visiting, and we were talking a bit about things. And I gave them a little homework assignment, so I'm going to give it to you to think about. Look and see in, in the First uh, Samuel 12, uh, 16, and in Second Samuel 12, see if there's a menorah pattern, a menorah thing going on there. But between David, who was not as a little boy, not supposed to be at war, but went, and the king in chapter in Second Samuel, who was supposed to be at war and didn't go something there he fights Goliath the giant right nine foot nine big guy he fights him as a little boy and later on he had just entered into and had a victory in a region or where there's a city called uh, I think it was Rabbah and Rabbah's the city that was the city mentioned the only time it's other time it's mentioned in scriptures where it talks about it earlier on I think in Deuteronomy where King Og was and had been killed he was the king of of, uh, Rabbah or the city was mentioned there Og was a giant. They had 13 feet long, whatever it was, six feet wide, something like that. He was a giant. So here David is in the land of giants twice. Once he goes in, once he stays out. And look what happens. One, he's exalted. And the other one, he's defamed. Just just pay attention. That's for homework, okay? That's for fun. Go look in there. See what we can learn from that. So David, uh, where are we here? So... uh, In these instances, when this happens, then God goes in. Of course, David is called out. Nathan is, points out, or God sends him in. Nathan points out, David, you're the man who did this. You, you were wrong. You're, we know what you did. And David is, is caught. 
and his, and, uh, and in doing that, he's, uh, his heart is shaken, and he's uh, humbled before the Lord, and he's repentant. And then God rewrites the script for him, okay? Those scripts, those root beliefs that we had had before, God rewrites them in 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 through 9. He puts the truth in place of those untruths so that David can have better outcomes. He says, I anointed you. Remember the me and I statements earlier that we read? Okay, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I delivered you. I'm the one who keeps you safe, David. Um, I gave your master's house to you, and I gave... Uh, I repeated that, sorry. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. Women don't love you. I love you. I love you. That's who loves you, David. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing evil? It's not your words that control David. It's my words that control David. Next slide. The truths that replace the lives. God loves me. That replaces the lie that women love me. I gave you, and you should have given, and and I would have given you more. I gave you your master's house, his wife's. I gave you all these things, David, and I would have given you more because I love you. That's the truth. God loves me, not that the women love me. That's what David should have believed. Secondly, God's words control me. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing evil, he said to him. David thought that his words were the things he could use to keep control. And really what it is is he needed to come under the control of Yeshua's words, of God's words. And then God keeps me safe. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. It wasn't David's cunning and and manipulating and and, uh, killing that kept him safe by proxy. It's God who kept him safe. I delivered you from the hand of the Philistines. So this you see, I hope you're seeing here how David was misled by his misunderstandings and how they ended up producing bad fruit in his life. Now, anybody here ever had something that you said to yourself, I'm going to stop doing that, I will never do that again? And you did it again? Okay, we all got bad grade on that, didn't we? Okay, why can't I stop it? Anybody ever said, I'm going to start doing something really good, whatever it was, I'm always, I'm going to, from now on I'm going to do X, and you said, I'm going to do it. Made those kind of vows to myself, and then you didn't do it. You did for a little bit, but then you quit. Okay? Why do we do that? Why can't we seem to get over the hurdle? Why can't we seem to keep the good going or stay away from the bad? Why is that? And it's because we're dealing with fruit and not root. Because we're trying to get rid of a behavior rather than a belief. And we have to get down to the beliefs underneath. And when we get those, we can deal with those. And the way we deal with those is we get rid of them because they are, the way we, we, yeah, we get rid of them because they are idols. You know, an idol is not an image, Scripture says. It's not the image. It's not the, the wood. It's not the, the foot of the rabbit. It's not the crystal ball. It's not the whatever, the thing itself. It's the lie behind it. It's the lying spirit behind it that's really the idol. And if we get rid of the lie, we are rid of the idol. So how do we get rid of lies? How do we get rid of idols? Well, we wreck and replace them. They tore them down, they burn them up, they ground them, and then they, and then they put God back in his place. Or they, um, I say, we confess and profess. We confess our sins and our beliefs, and then we profess the truth. That's how we get rid of idols in our lives, how we get rid of these lies. 
And here David does it in uh, Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. So he replaced the truth that women love me with the truth that God loves me. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. This is his, uh, this is, what is the word? Peshat, uh, uh, there's a word there. What's the word for sin there? I'm forgetting it. I want to say Peshat, but that's not it. Pesha, thank you. It's the, his Pesha, it's that kind of grievous sin. It's that rebellious sin. It's that breaking of trust kind of sin. And he's saying, I did that. Who did he break trust with? Who did he, in this sin, this particular one we're talking about, where, that he's talking about too, who did he break trust with? Who was trusting and loyal? What kind of relationship did he betray? It was, what, it was with Uriah, his bodyguard, and it was with God, both. And he knew it. Later on he says, against you and you only have I sinned. In other words, he knew, primarily, I did it with you. And so, he says, bought that out. Um, he tried to take control he tried to manipulate things. He had him killed. He moved his enemies out by proxy. He knew that was wrong. And here he's saying, no, you're great compassion. I need that. I need you to be the one to control things for me. And then wash away all my nicotine. Cleanse me from my sin. This is the moral sin. This is a bone. And so this is the, uh, the, the idea that he's, he has sinned against her. And that morally he's fallen down. And so he is asking for God to remove that sin, that sin of trying to have uh, take for himself. Keeps, this is the way we deal with our idols. We have to confess them, and then we, 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 we're done with them. Father, forgive me for those things. I don't believe them anymore. I'm not going to follow them anymore. And then we replace them with the truths, and we confess our belief in the truth. Our next slide. So what can we learn? Uh, Scripture says in 1 Peter that says, be alert, stay awake. That's really what that means, that word alert. It means wake up, be alert, like in the night, trying to stay awake. Be alert, be vigilant, and of sober mind. It means to don't be fuzzy-minded, don't be not clear. Wake up and be really attentive. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour so what we need to do is we need to really be on the alert. You need to be thinking and, and looking into what is it that I am believing that I shouldn't. And here's the way I encourage you to do this. There are those three areas, and I encourage you to do this. Ask God. I trust him to answer you. Ask God. Take some time. Be alone. Get quiet. Settle down and focus. Be alert. And ask God, God, what have I believed that's wrong? Or what have I come to conclude about how I am loved and valued? Tell me. And then you give him 60 seconds. Just be quiet and let your mind be there at ease. And if you have a thought, write it down. If it aligns with scripture, it's true. God, what have I come to believe and understand about how to control the way other people respond to me, how to control others. And then give it 60 seconds. Write it down. And the last one is, God, what have I come to believe about safety or security, about my safety or my security? And then write it down. If it aligns with Scripture, if it's, if it's wrong and clear from Scripture that it's wrong, then you'll know.
whether, it's what the, whether what you've heard is accurate or not. And then you repent of the things that are wrong and replace them with the truths. And I try to find a truth that is very much in keeping with, um, it's a twist, how do I say this? Um, the lies that we believe are often just a small or slight twist on the truth. Okay? So I try to twist them back. So Satan said to Eve, did God say you will die? She says, yep. He says, you will not die. Not, just twist it. Just a little bit. You will not die. So we twist it back. So women love me. God loves me. See how I twisted it back? Just put it right back on track there. So with yours, you have to say, God, what's the truth here? And put it back on track and find supporting scripture that you can believe that supports that. That's in line with that. So you can, can see it both from your prayers with him and from God's word. Our next slide here. A king, this is, uh, I heard this this, mor- this morning, I was, I was up early and thinking more about this and getting the last minute stuff put together and I heard the most wonderful thing um, from another teacher I was listening to online and, um, and I hope I can represent this well. But um, this idea of transgression, of uh, pesha, of, of betrayal, it's almost like the word betrayal, breaking of trust, of an agreement, um, that David talks about here. He says, don't cast from me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I, uh, then I teach, that I may teach transgression, that I may teach the transgressor your ways and will turn back to, him back to you. Um, this idea of a king who is faithful a king who will not betray us. Earlier on in, in Psalm 93 and 94, we read about that. He's loyal, he's faithful, he's unshakable. It's that kind of king that we read about in Psalm 93 and 94. David, his sin was great because he was supposed to be that example to his people. And he wasn't. Because Yeshua is that way. He is unshakable. He will not betray us. Sometimes we look at our parents and they fail us and we think God is that way. The Israel, the nation, looked to David and he failed. It ran risk of the people thinking that God was also, would also fail them. But our king is trustworthy. And what happened is this in scripture, and we'll close with this. All of the Sins, all the rebellious sins, the transgressions, and all of those things that, like David did, that we have done, they all came forward unresolved until the time of Yeshua, the king. And there, when he died for us and took those for us, he became faithful on our behalf. His righteousness for our unrighteousness, we had sinned, but he was faithful even when we were not faithful. That's the kind of king he is. And we're supposed to be that example to our world. Dads, you're supposed to be that in your home. We're supposed to be that to our community. Faithful, loyal, dependable to God's word and his ways. And when we're not, he is. So when we fail... And you go to your kids, and you go to your neighbors, and you go to those that you sometimes get angry and lose your cool.
school with or whatever, you go back to them and you say, I am sorry, I have failed, just what David did. But God will not fail you like I did. I hope you can trust that. He has already proven his faithfulness. Our next slide here. Um, or is that the last one I have? That's one. So when we go away today, our lessons are these. One, that, um, that we have our roots beneath our sins, and we need to discover what those are. And they're usually in those three areas, and I've, show, I've told you how to do that, how to control those, how to find those, I should say, and then turn those over to God. So you need to remove those idols, because they're really idols in your life. If you're believing them and using them, then they'll lead you astray. They'll lead you away from God. And so we replace those with truths and embrace those truths. And then the last thing I would say is that the big lesson here today is to say that in this we see that there is um, a king who is faithful. And what a faithful king looks like, a faithful king should look like. We see David who was almost there, but he failed. And we can know that our Lord will not do that. That he would be faithful to us completely, always, and only to us. And so now as we go full circle back to our original reading in these days and these times take a deep breath and take a sigh of relief that no matter what circumstances may be around us or around you he's not shaken he will not leave you he will not forsake you he will not betray you he will not stab you in the back he will defend you he will stand with you he will be with us all the way He is loyal, he is loving, he is faithful. We have that kind of king. And we need to share him with the whole world. Because the whole world, more and more, is getting to the point where they really need him too. He's going to become more and more attractive and more and more beautiful. They'll see him in you and me first. And then they'll believe on him themselves. Brandon had a question. Sorry we're out of time, Brandon. Got to go. Yeah, (laughs) go ahead. I'll say that, repeat it briefly for people who are listening but didn't hear. So Brandon asked, so we have, he liked the analogy of the fruits and the roots. And uh, and he asked a question about how do we know that we have, uh, it's time to go get counsel and help with our, when we have our fruit so we can find the root. Um, it's a good question. I think when it comes, become, we probably need to go sooner than we realize, to be honest. Um, we probably need to do it when other people tell us you've got a problem. Probably need to do it when we when we think to our first time we have a thought. I need to get some help on this, and, or when we keep getting these bad results and we just can't seem to overcome, that ought to tell us we don't have a solution and we're not going to find one quickly. So go get it quick, so you don't keep stumbling over the same stumbling stone over and over. That help? All right. Good question. Anyone else have a question? Yes.
Okay. So uh, his question is, uh, you give an analogy of the burrs. You're walking through the forest and you're picking up these burrs. And so the burr bush gave them to you. And so mad at the burr bush. And in our case, our, our parents, sometimes we pick up things from our parents, wounds or beliefs or whatever it is from our parents. So how do we forgive? That, that fair representation? Okay. Um, I think, first of all, we, got, we have to understand that there are no, there's no such thing as perfect parents. I'm not going to be one. I wasn't one. And your, your kids are not going to be them. And if you're a teenager, you're looking at mom and dad and thinking, man, they're not Eds. I wish I could straighten them out like me. Um, you're going to grow up and have your set of problems too. Uh, they're already blossoming. So um, the point is that nobody's perfect. Parents are not perfect. I think recognizing that is helpful. Jesus did that on the cross when he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're imperfect. They're, they're doing wrong things to me, but they're not. Another thing is that we, it's that scriptures, John says uh, that Jesus entrusted him. He didn't entrust himself to any man. Uh, Peter, later on, First Peter says he entrusted himself to God. And so I think we put our confidence in God and, say, and quit putting it in people. When we get to that level of maturity, we can understand that. Then we can forgive people. Uh, realizing that, our, that they aren't going to be dependable, um, meaning they're going to fail. Even if they don't intend to, they will fail. And I think it has to come to, I think the easiest, the thing that really helps to forgive the most is to see our own sins, to see that we have shortcomings. And as we see that we have shortcomings, it's easier to forgive others of their shortcomings. But when I think I've got it all together, I kind of assume Anyway, it, it, you have this downward view of other people rather than a, yeah, we all sin and fall short kind of thing. Um, sometimes people want to go back and try and make them, uh, work it out with their, those who've wounded them, talk it out, explain it to them, show them their sin, get them to say, I'm sorry, but that's not always possible because sometimes a parent has died or the person that wounded us has died or they're far away or they're not willing to, to participate in working things out. And so, in the end, you really have to just decide on your own, am I going to hold that against them or not? And anything you hold against others, you're holding against yourself. The Lord referred to that when he said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. It's, it's, it's like I'm in touch. If I'm holding that against you, well, we're still in contact. So if I let go of that, then I'm free of you. I'm free of that situation. It gives some freedom. It begins that freedom. So I encourage people to realize who they are before God and to give people uh, not not let them off the hook for what they've done as in you know if they do something heinous or vile I think people ought to go to jail for doing those kind of things but it's that I won't live my life trying to get that person to do the right thing but I'm going to let it go and let God take care of that and I'm going to move on with my life I don't know if that gave a good answer or not I gave a lot of shots at it how about that maybe we hit a piece all right. One other. We got, well, you had a question, Beth, real quick. Good question. So the question is, if you've been raised with um, a good parent, like you'd say your mother, but an absent father, then uh, is there something missing in your life? Yeah. There is. There were things that were intended to be there that didn't weren't given to you in the way that God intended them to be there. Uh, a lot of people, and it's not just a father wound, but a lot of people suffer from an absent father, a mean father, 
a, a um, preoccupied father, a, an abandoned, one that abandoned you or, or, or died early, um, can be the same for moms, can be. And so do we miss something? We do miss something. But God can supply it. That's where we have to go to. We go to him. He becomes our father. He becomes your father. Or your mother, if it was your mother that was the one at fault there. Or maybe both. Uh, even if our father or our mother forsake us, he is faithful, the book says. And so I encourage people to do this, to gain what they lost. Um, watch him. Allow him to be that for you. But also, a friend of mine shared this with me. I, I, have, I encourage people to read, um, if to read Proverbs. Maybe uh, a good plan is to read one proverb per day, one chapter per day, so you can go through it every month. Because Proverbs, that's, that's a father's words to his children. So let your dad advise you and counsel you and coach you and listen to you. Let him teach you. So this is your new father. Wisdom from the word of God through Proverbs. And then the Psalms, if you read five of those a day, you read through all the Psalms every month. And the Psalms are really expression of emotion and then the right way to handle it, which is what moms do so well. They sense what we're feeling, don't they? And they say, oh, I'm so sorry, that hurt. Come over here and we'll, we'll take care of it, right? That's what moms do. So this tells us how to handle our joys and our frustrations and our worries and our anxieties and people who, who do us wrong and all that kind of thing. So there's Psalm, that's your mom. So a healthy balance is to go to your mother and your dad every day because there's no perfect parent. So everybody can use this. We can all gain from this because wherever our parents fell short, this can make up for. And But especially if you have lost one or the other one or they weren't in your life, I would encourage you to think about that. But God becomes God becomes our parent. One other, Steve had a question. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Good. good that's a good note to to conclude on as well because we're out of our time but I want to pray for Honduras in case you didn't hear that there's been you know it was a it's a hurricane and, and flood horrendous amount of flooding. I saw a few pictures that you'd put up and, um, and people's lives, homes all devastated and now a lot of uh, and the Christians who are there both suffered but they're also trying to help those who are suffering down in I guess lower more flooded areas as well. So uh, they don't have a lot of the services that we would have here to help restore like when Louisiana catches it all the time and there's aid that comes flooding in. I'm sure they don't have that level or maybe they have any of that. So people are trying to help their neighbors. So let's, we will pray for Honduras and close there. All right? Let's pray together. I need you to help the people of Honduras. I need you to support those who have faith and are trying to serve, give them protection and meet their needs. But also we need you to help those who don't yet know you and are hopeless, devastated, despairing, 
lost their children, have lost their parents, have lost things. We cannot fathom how they feel, but you do. Because you're a good father, because you're a good king, we ask you to enter in and to do for them the things that they need. Here in our place, we need you to do the things that need to be done as well. And in our lives. Oh God, you are really a wonderful king, a righteous, loyal, dependable, trustworthy, unshakable king. And we, are, we take our comfort in you. You're also a compassionate and merciful and faithful dad father and mother to us. Thank you. We wish we could do better. We wish we could be more like you. We want to be, help us to be. Remove the blindness from our eyes, things that we believe and work out of are hidden from us. They are underground in a way and it's really hard to see them, but I pray that if anyone here does go to you this next week or today or whatever and and ask you to show them what's hidden, that you would show them what's hidden, and that they would not be deceived by the enemy in that, but be clear, and then show them the truth that replaces it. We ask for a blessing now on uh, uh, Grant and Robin, who serve your people here and who are away today, and we just pray for their refreshment in whatever ways it is best for them bless them and we pray for all those who listen in from around the country and around the world who are also trying to follow you and learning to follow you give them guidance give them your encouragement give them your wisdom in using your word and may they live out their lives under your reign in a way that brings you honor and glory and brings them blessing we celebrate we enjoy and we agree with the laughter of Abraham today that laughs because it is an amazing thing that you're doing with us. May your name be honored in all the world. We pray through the permission granted to us by Jesus.